Good to be with you here today. Uh, for those of you who uh, come regularly, you know that uh, I began three weeks ago a series of four with one interruption in the middle. Uh, so we are looking at the return of Christ and how we should view that. So I was with you two weeks, and then we already had scheduled a visit to a daughter and another son-in-law. He's a pastor of a free church out in New Hampshire, and one of our grandkids, so that's why I wasn't with you last, last week. So again, we're going to look at different aspects of Christ's return and how we engage with it, and then next week will be the same. Uh, today we're going to look, I'm going to actually read all of Second Peter chapter 3, but we will only be looking at verses 10 through 13, but I felt it good to read the whole section because there are different elements to the whole chapter that speak to Christ's return. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice, that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destructions. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
Be on your guard lest, being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your eternal word. And Father, as we, we look at this text today, as we study it, as we delve into uh, the whole understanding of uh, your son's return, we pray that you would guide our time, guard me from saying anything of error, and help me say the things I should say. And it's in your wonderful name that we pray these things. Amen. Over the course of uh, my ministry years, uh, I've uh, had a real privilege of living in many different places in many different ministry settings. Uh, One of those settings was living for about five years in Birmingham, England, involved in evangelism and church planting. Uh, As typical missionaries, uh, during the course of the five years, we We had to come back to the States to report to our supporters and tell them what we were doing and uh, just rally our support and then then returned to England. When we returned, we noticed that our neighbors had done something new to their house. All around the house, every corner on it had cameras. So we we said, hey, what's up? And they said, well, in the last six months, we have been burgled three times. A burgled is the way they describe being robbed by burglars, uh, speaking in Birmingham English, burgled. And so as a result of being burgled those three times, they made sure they were ready for the next one that came along. It's interesting, Peter uses uh, this same idea of a thief coming to describe the coming of Christ again to our area. Reminding us we need to be prepared for his return. And so that's what we want to look at today is, is yes, uh, being prepared, but during this time we're waiting for him to come back. How do we engage with that? What what do we think about? What should we spend our time doing during this time of what might seem to be delay? Verses 10 through 12, uh, I, I see here's maybe the perspective on the future that we should have. And one aspect of what we should know is what's it going to be like? Do we, do we have any details about this future coming? As, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, we don't know when Christ is going to come back. But we do see here a timing given to us. It says, like a thief. Our friends in Birmingham, England said, if you live in Birmingham, and they describe this city as a working class, rough city, Lots of crime. They said, if you live in Birmingham, you know you will be burgled. (laughs) You just don't know when. 
Now, this is really the way Jesus seems to present his soon coming back. He uses this theme of a thief coming. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. Uh, One parable he gave was in Luke chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so this is the timing of Christ's return. He will return just like a thief. We don't know when he will return, but we know he will return. So how do we live in preparation for this unspecified return time? I grew up in an age of the church that's very different than now. Uh, I grew up when evangelical Bible-believing people didn't go to the movies. Well, now, our family did go to the movie if it was out of town because then no one would see us. But anyway, I had a friend who said his folks always said, well, Would you want to be in a movie theater when Jesus returns? (laughs) That's maybe a little extreme in in how we, uh, you know, corral our behavior. But in in many ways, this this has something to say to us. Uh, Think about all the things you do in the course of a day. Are there any of those things you would hope that Christ did not return when you're doing them? Gossiping about someone? Talking ill about someone behind their back? Maybe looking at a porn site? Uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it. They're all, they're, for all of us, there are things we would just as soon not be doing when Christ returns. So that should be one aspect of our our future, that that we really do think about what we are doing today. Uh, what's, What's the characteristic of his return? In verse 10 and 12, here's some of the descriptive words of this return and what's going to happen. A roar, intense heat, burned up, burning, Melt, intense heat. Several years ago, I did a stupid thing. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't done stupid things since then, but I was trying to get my barbecue briquettes to start. I could not get these things to start no matter how much lighter fluid I put on. I don't know if they had become damp, so I decided, you know what? We need a little dousing of gasoline. <laughs> and so I had, you know, like a leftover, uh, you know, uh, can of vegetables, you know, from the rubbish can. And so I filled that with gas and tossed it on those briquettes and waited just a moment and then lit the match and, you know, threw it at the same time and kapoom! And it just, I mean, a ball of fire went up in the air. And I, I mean, the words that are described here would indicate something like that. 
My briquettes did start, but I also singed my oldest son's eyebrows. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, he survived. Um, it's because of this many people think that the end time is going to probably be a, a nuclear kind of event. Uh, but I'm wondering if it won't be something different that we actually are not experienced with. You see, a nuclear event would be a man-made thing. And if we look through Scripture, we discover that when God's wrath came, it was all something directly from his hand. It wasn't necessarily man-made. Now, he did punish people, but when it came to his wrath, he came with some very specific things, like the Noahic flood. That was not man-made. The fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, that was not man-made. A Pharaoh's army taken out by the walls of water of the Red Sea falling down, that was not man-made. We don't know specifically what the end will be, but I wonder if it won't be more than just something that's man-made. This will be actually God's hand of wrath upon a sinful world. That, that's the characteristic of this great event that's going to take place. And what's the result in verse 10 and 12? Uh, heaven, the elements, the earth, they're going to pass away. It's all going to be destroyed, burned up, melt. Everything is going to cease to exist. Nothing will be left. This building will be gone. Northwestern University, Evanston, Illinois, the USA, North America, our bank accounts, our cars, our homes, our diplomas, our clothes, everything is going to cease to exist. So how do we deal with this rather depressing <laughs> description that we are given here? And that's what Peter addresses. That's the reason for his writing, verse 11. He says, since it's all going to be destroyed. That's the theological aspect. The application, he says, is what sort of life should you be living? Well, for those of us who are believers, we need to be very thankful for a prophetic statement given to us in Joel chapter 2, specifically verse 32. Here is also referenced the day of the Lord that is being talked about in this text here in 2 Peter. But listen to what Joel says, verses 30 through 32. Again, it's descriptive of end times. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will, burn, will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And so for those of us who are part of the believing community, 
we can look at this, what seems to be horrendous and awful event, not in despair or a feeling of depression because of verse 32, the first part. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. This whole idea of deliverance uh, seems to be one of the reasons the, the Lord delays his return. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Uh, that same idea is found also in verse 15. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Uh, this is what Ezekiel says of the Lord in end times. Ezekiel 18 verse 23. Do I have any pleasure in death of the wicked, declares the Lord? God, uh, rather than that he should return, she had turned from his ways and live. <clears throat> Some would look at a text like this, where everything ceases to exist through a horrendous event, a meltdown, and saying, how can a loving God do this? But if we think of God... <laughs> Uh, there are other aspects of God that, that also call attention to this need, holiness, righteousness, justice. Uh, yes, God is a loving God, even though this looks terrible. I mean, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the love of God came when we were helpless, when we were enemies, when we are sinners. And why? Because he loved us and so he sent his son to die on the cross that we might be saved. And so there is a horrendous event coming, but the delay is because Ezekiel says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than that they should be turned from his ways and live? So the delay of Christ is because he loves us. He wants us to turn to him so that we do not have to experience this horrendous event. So what should be our purpose in living out a life until Christ returns. Verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be? He goes on to describe godliness and holy conduct as the way we should be living our lives. Now, that's different from what the world tells us we should be about. We should busy ourselves with ambition, success, notoriety, being good investors, make money, gain power, become famous. Now, now God is not opposed to those things. And he, in fact, he tells us to be wise, have influence, make an impact in the world around you. You know, be good stewards. So it's not that we don't think of those things, but they do not become all-consuming. 
That's why Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we need to keep this proper perspective. If everything is going to be destroyed, what kind of person ought I to be and how should I spend my time? And two ways I should spend my time are being holy and godly. So what is a holy life? Um, Holiness is often described in, in simple terms this way. It's something that is set aside for a singular purpose. Having uh, visited my daughter in New Hampshire last week, uh, we were getting some dishes out of the cupboard, and she said, oh, no, Dad, those dishes are just for when guests come, not for you. Um, Yeah, they were set aside for a singular purpose. And that's what God has called us to be, set aside for his use, his purposes alone. And so whatever your calling, whatever your career, whatever your job setting is, we need to then put ourselves into that and say, God, these eyes are yours. These, These ears are yours. These hands are yours. These feet are yours. This mouth is yours. This mind is yours to be used for your purposes and your purposes alone. And so I would ask you, have you set yourself aside to be holy unto the Lord for his purposes? That's what he would desire for us to do until he returns. Uh, There's another aspect of holiness besides being set apart. First Peter describes holiness this way in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. One of the aspects of holiness in, in defining it is that it is the quality and personality of God in his life. So What's God's personality? How does he live out life? Well, probably the closest description would be found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, which says the fruit of the Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is fully part of the Godhead. And so here's some personality characteristics of, of God the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So as, as you wait for Christ to return, does your life portray this, this kind of description? Uh, this personality characteristic of, of God the Holy Spirit. That, that's what we've been called to live holy lives. Godly lives, secondly. Well, what's a godly life? What's well, the sum total of Christian virtues and duties? Well, how do we know what that sum total is? Well, we find 
find it in, in God's word. Uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 1 implies that godliness comes through a good understanding of God's word. Listen to what Paul writes to Titus in chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So this is why Bible reading and, and Bible study is, is so important in our life, utmost of importance, because as we study his word, we know God's way and God's will, which leads us in the way of godliness. Uh, just as an example, in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, here's how God's word can help guide us into a life of godliness. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you need to make sure that part of your life includes systematic and disciplined Bible reading so that you will know what godliness is all about and you can keep yourself living that way till Christ returns. I mean, the only thing that is going to last is God's word. That's what the Isaiah says, chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so should we not invest in that which is eternal and lasting? So this is how we should engage our time waiting for Christ to return, living a life that is holy and godly. So we've looked at what our perspective should be on his return, how we should approach it, and finally, what should be our attitude towards his return? Well, it should be a positive one. Look at verse 12, looking for. Uh, verse 13, looking for. <clears throat> now, that's a sharp contrast in what is descriptive of those who do not know Christ. Uh, that's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 6. Verses 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid himself in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? The believe, unbeliever does not look forward to this final day because it is a day of judgment. But in sharp contrast, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it is a final day of freedom. Final salvation, complete and total. Removing us from even a, a desire or tendency towards sin. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 about this final 
aspect of salvation, 18 through 23. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Wow. There's a big difference between those who are believers and those who are not believers. Everyone is going to meet Christ. Everyone. We will either meet him as the Savior from our sins, or we will meet him as the judge of our sins. Everyone here today, you will meet Jesus Christ when he returns. You will either meet him as the Savior from your sins, or you will meet him as the judge of your sins. One other interesting aspect about Christ's turn, and that is, can we speed it up? Look at verse 12 says, and speed its coming. Can we actually speed up the return of Christ? Uh, it would seem so from what is stated here. Um, other texts might confirm this. Mark chapter 13, verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So the quicker we get that job done, the sooner Christ will return. Uh, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Uh, so there is a good indication that we can speed up Christ's turn by our work of evangelism and, and mission work. <clears throat> Earlier in our text, we read about people who are mocking anyone who thinks Christ will return, and they even don't even remember that God brought judgment through the flood. So Noah's flood and, and God's judgment is referenced. And so I want to bring the story of what was taking place in Noah's life and relate it here. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then jumping to verse 13 and 14, then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before men, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And we know that God waited to bring his wrath upon mankind until he had finished that ark and they had entered in. Uh, 
somewhere maybe around 100 years to build. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, uh, referencing this Noahic flood and God's wrath, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Before God brings his wrath, he always offers salvation. Noah, build an ark. Those who want to be saved, you enter in. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, I am going to destroy it, but first I am going to send angels, and whoever wants to go out can go out. And over and over again, we see when the wrath of God is prophesied, salvation is always first brought. And so we have here the same thing. We have Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. So we do not have to experience the wrath of God. So what should be our attitude? Look forward to this day and the promises. What are the promises? A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. No more sin whatsoever. So how do we engage during the days waiting for Jesus' return. Well, for the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, uh, we don't dwell on the events, but we do let this idea that Christ is coming back, we do let it affect our life on a daily basis. Uh, We need to be consumed with godly and holy living. Look to the promises, not living in fear, but trusting in God's wondrous work of salvation. For those who have not yet entered into the promises of God through Christ Jesus, I challenge you, you better live in great fear of the coming day of judgment. You need to call upon the name of the Lord while you still have a chance. Jesus Christ is patiently waiting. He's waiting for you before his return. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your eternal word. Father, we pray that you would stir us to living lives more pleasing to you so that as you find us when you come, we will truly be found faithful. Father, for those who are here today who do not know Christ, I pray that they would enter in to your salvation so they will know you as the Savior from their sins and not the judge of their sins. And it's in your wondrous Son's name we pray. Amen.